Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I am joined by my sister, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the new TV show, APB. This was on... Fox. Fox. I can never keep track of... Well, the reason I remember is because uh, right before it, it would mention Bones, Sleepy Hollow. That's right. They were doing a pretty good cross-promotion of their other stuff. Yeah, and then uh, 24 with the guy with trust issues. I can only trust myself. It's like, okay, that's why he's on that show. (laughs) I want to see somebody do that, but it's an ensemble show. And everyone's like, jeez, man, get over it. Anyways, <laughs> what I do like, not only about that part of the opening, which is smart to cross-promote, mm. but when APB would start, it would have a kind of like a zoom in on a police car, and then it'd be pulling out to the city of Chicago and got the logo. It was a, it was a nice, it's not like title card's not quite the right word, but a nice opening 10-second thing for their little sound score or whatever. What used to be known as a, an opening sequence or opening credits back when they would do opening credits. Well, and they had their logo in sort of a badge-like motif that was part of that. It felt very, this is cop show. It, definitely, very much cop show. And this was a 12-episode season. Mm-hmm. Struck me as an odd number of, of, well, an even number, but an unusual <laughs> number of episodes. But... We checked it out originally just, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm curious, it's rich guy uh, is in Chicago, his friend gets murdered, and the cops aren't really able to help track the murderer down what? or whatever. His friend is murdered as they're driving through and they just kind of stop at a convenience store to get some drinks to get them back on the road, but they stop in really the least funded part of town yeah and that's the as if there could be a most unfortunate part of the tragedy that is because they are in the part of town where the police have the fewest resources to track down the crime as well as the highest crime rate because they have the fewest resources and the most destitute population and it's just that perfect storm of bad well the lead character uh gideon reeves is a little bit more realistic version of Tony Stark. Yes. Only in so much as he doesn't build a suit of armor. Wait, Other than that, they're very similar characters. He's got a lot of that. He's got some Elon Musk idealism. Uh, he has, in one of the episodes, a line about, I may seem like someone who flits from this to that to the other thing, but the thing is, I like challenges. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's afraid that this is just going to be a fad with me and I'm going to drop it doesn't realize that this is the one challenge that will never become uninteresting. Well, and they sell that very well, but I guess in my mind, as good of an actor as Justin Kirk is, Mm -hmm. and as interesting as Gideon Reeves is, I could see Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark giving those same lines. So there's an um, archetype that they're kind of leaning on there. What worried me, and it goes in with your Tony Stark comparison, is to me, the Iron Man suit 
awesome concept, but we're not there yet. Seems unrealistic. Yeah. And I was worried going in, okay, how much of this is going to be people see it and say, God, that'd be awesome if the police could do it, but we're not there yet. The question originally was, is it a science fiction show pretending to be a cop show mm. or a cop show with sci-fi leanings? Yeah. And I would say it's very much a cop show. Yeah. With sci-fi overtones. Yeah. And by sci-fi, it's they've got drones, their computer, uh, you know, generated effects sometimes, but the way they use the drones is fairly realistic, not perfectly, but... The, the pilot episode sold me when the billionaire is in there and he's saying, very real world problem, 911 operators are overwhelmed, mm -hmm. and what if every person on the street could be extra eyes, ears, crowdsourcing information sources, and creates an app. And it's instead of people having to make a telephone call and have one-on-one -on person-to-person -person contact to relay information, what if they could use an app to text information, to report a crime, to text a photo, to share a video, whatever? To me, that's real world possible. This is a, not that numbers is that old of a show, but it's a modern day version of that. Yes. Whereas then it was math can solve everything. Here the idea is technology can yeah. solve everything. Yeah. And then maybe not everything. Because they're also, they play up that the cops have their instincts, their training, and, mm -hmm. and their skills. So there are times where technology can help, mm -hmm. but it can't do everything. Well, and there are times where they hit the limitations of technology. You know, when the drone goes into a tunnel mm -hmm. and falls out of the air. Well, and that the drone can get hacked. Yes. So they they play the downsides as much as the upsides. Mm -hmm. And they've got um, Murphy as the the cop that he promotes to, to detective or whatever. Because he was the one who was trying to help him when his friend got killed. She actually cares. She's got people skills as well as cop instincts. And he recognizes that's a really great balance to have in a cop. Well, she he knew she would keep him honest. Yes. And that she had some untapped potential. She has a moral compass. Well, but also good instincts and knows mm -hmm. the, the area. Yeah. So we've got her and about four other cops that we really follow. Mm-hmm. Over the course of the season. Plus there's the captain who's played by... Um, Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson uh, from he, Ghostbusters, who does a fantastic job. He got promoted to captain by Gideon. Well, that's right, because the one who was originally captain in the pilot was from a uh, person of interest and uh, quit. Yeah. Now, some of that may have just been he'd been there for the pilot, and when it got picked up, he wasn't available, whatever, behind the scenes. But it played well that when you've got this billionaire coming in saying, I'm going to take over the police district, it's a special appointment and stuff, that a lot of people are like, this is nuts, I'm out of here. Yeah. And they they did the transition of this is what the police station was and had mm -hmm. to he comes in, they get new uniforms that are more bulletproof, they get tasers, they get souped up uh, police cars, they get a lot of technology. When, slow down on the tasers, because that was one of the concepts that I found fascinating, and it's another, is it or is it not real world possible, and I don't know. 
But I liked the concept of one device. And it's kind of like the uh, the Star Trek phaser. Yeah. Where you can kind of slide between stun and kill. And it's a cop shouldn't have to choose, do I unholster my taser or do I unholster my gun? But they unholster a single device. Well, it's a sidearm that can do both. Yeah. It, it's a gun that they are familiar with. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you've got to have additional training on, well, how do I use this taser or whatever? Yeah. And again, when he demos it for them and stuff like that, they they have a sense of humor about it. Yeah. Um, But it's also the way they the series played out. If it had come down to he had a technology and it didn't work out, he would have replaced that. Yeah. And I would have liked to have seen that. When I liked the, the uh, body cams. He introduced and gave all of them. Well, okay. First of all, they were magic body cams, if you ask me. Well, because they've got the camera that's mounted, and I think it's pointing up at a little bit of an angle. If there are times somebody in front of him is facing away from him, he's behind, and somehow the the station has his video of him. And it's like they they have the one camera facing forward. They should have one facing back. I agree, but. Well, or they have the one camera facing forward, yet miraculously it's getting footage of the person 90 degrees to one side or the other. Well, what's funny is, and maybe it's the character, but it, I think the actor might have the same sense of humor or whatever. I would have found it very funny if when Gideon was out in the field with Murphy and the other cops, he was always kind of leaning over to get into the shot of the body cam. Yes, yes. And they're like, back off, dude, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. Well, what I did really like about the uh, body cam design, though, was it was designed to where it could be removed from whatever yes. little plastic mount they used it was that in. Really well at one point. Yeah, and then it had kind of, I guess, a, a suction cup or a magnet or something, and so they could leave it at the scene of the crime. There is a either a Kickstarter and Indiegogo for a decent resolution, you know, uh, action cam kind of a thing. Little square like GoPro thing, but it's got a magnet mount. So you can go mount it on a, a like a, a fence post or something like that for mm-hmm. shots and stuff. And it's, it's the exact same idea. Yeah, and I just, I thought that was great. It's the, okay, so the cop, and at one point, uh, and I forget which episode it was, but it was, we need someone to shoot through a wall. So we're going to change, uh, like, the range of vision. And we're going to go to infrared or something. Yeah. And let somebody else kind of see through it and stuff. Yeah. There were a couple of times where they used uh, glasses mm-hmm. to, to see chemical markers on people to trace the money on a drug deal. And some of it is, okay, the glasses and stuff, little, little sci-fi. Yeah. But- not radically unbelievable. Well, and what I did like with that one was they were trying to figure out, as I recall, uh, where a drug was being made, I think, in that episode. And it was basically a follow the money. And what I liked was basically these cops are driving through an entire community. And it's okay. We're not saying 80% of the community does drugs. Mm-hmm. We're simply pointing out that cash filters and moves through our society at such a rate that that money changes hands so often that 80% of the household 
debts come in contact with the money that at one point came in contact well, with the drug Well, and you could see house. where it was centralizing and you could yeah. follow the, the basic path of the majority of it kind of thing. Yeah. And they, they play a little fast and loose with the technology, but for me that's compensated by the fact that they're always talking about how crazy expensive yes. all of this stuff is. Yeah. I mean, Gideon Reeves is a billionaire yeah. with a, a large com- uh, industry of companies or whatever. Well, at but one he, point- he's pulling stuff from, okay, let's take this from the, the deep sea, you know, exploration division. Let's do this from the NASA program. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and at one point, uh, Murphy shoots one of his drones out of the air because it's been hacked and mm-hmm. turned on her. And he's like, I was jamming the signal. I, I was, was bringing, bringing it, it down. down. <laughs> and she shot it and crashed it and trashed it into a bunch of pieces. It's like, that was like $200,000. What I loved about that is it wasn't the first drone they lost, but there were two. And he's as he's getting the other one. As he's pulling the card out of there to go figure out, you know, how it had gotten hacked, in the background is uh, Pete. Pete. Picking up each individual piece. Pete was somebody who came in a couple of episodes in. I loved Pete. He is, what's the actor's name? Abraham uh, Ben Ruby. I looked yeah, him up. Yeah, Abraham Ben Ruby. I, and he was in Parker Lewis Can't Lose. He was in yeah. ER. There's one or two other shows he's been in. One, apparently, uh, what I was reading is he'd gotten more characterization or whatever but you know in fairly short order versus the years he'd been on like er and doing Mm. plot important not character important things yeah here he's uh basically a former wrestler Mm -hmm. who's a bit of a, a mechanical and electronic genius or whatever that uh had gotten somehow into Gideon's orbit and Gideon hired him and has been using him and he's like one of the go-to guys for Gideon. Well, in the uh, season finale, there was a great exchange between him and Gideon as they're in the little tech van racing around town and Gideon saying, you know, who organizes their parts alphabetically? And Pete responds back, the guy who's going to break a chair over his boss's head. Yeah, because Gideon's back there soldering together the jamming device he's going to use for the drone. As Pete is just blazing through, you know, gridlock traffic and stuff. And there are very, uh, there are a couple of people from the Reeves industry side that come into this, Mm. but it's all centered around the the police district. Yes. You know, we know Pete because he's essentially moved into the the basement of the the police district as the resident tech guy. And it's very interesting because Pete is definitely a Reeves Industries employee, and yet he is suddenly in the police department basement as sort of a full-time resident, but not a police employee. He's just kind of Gideon installed him there. Well, Pete and Ada fall into the category of, I think they're clearly getting paid by Reeves. They are Mm -hmm. Reeves people. Obviously not cops or even police hired personnel, like you said, but they are, I would imagine, somewhat free-floating individuals within Reeves Industries. Yeah. Of If a project gets behind, Pete might have gotten sent over to go fix it. If somebody's software just isn't working, he'd have sent Ada to go do it or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
Well, and some of the stuff that they come up with, at one point, Gideon is asking Pete about the squad cars. You know, did you install this, that, and the other? And it was just kind of a, well, that seemed like a standard thing to do. And he goes, so do you mean I can remote control the vehicles? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I guess you can. You can do anything except, I think it was going reverse. Yeah, there were a couple of things he just hadn't quite gotten around to or... They needed to do a quick mod on something, so some corners got cut. There's a a, a hacker, you know, in terms of improvisational yeah. mechanicing and computing aspect. One of the best things, and I think Pete was integral working with one of the cops, Brant, to come up with it. Uh, they couldn't get a suicidal jumper to agree mm. to accept a phone from Brant to talk to his father, to talk him down. So Brant, working with Pete got a tablet onto a drone and pete brought the drone up the side of the building they essentially duct taped it to the drone or whatever to where they could just you know yeah do a video conference that way yeah so there's a not that they it's not like they have the magic device just conveniently sitting around no but they'll always look for another perspective on the problem another approach or another angle to take to find a way to solve the problem. I would almost argue there's a little bit more MacGyvering on this show. Yeah. Than in MacGyver. Yeah. Or at least the current MacGyver. Well, and a different type of MacGyvering. Absolutely. This is more of a high tech, mm-hmm. you know, let's let's create the widget we need. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What I liked about all of that is none of it seemed to be completely just insane techno babble and when they would get to particularly when we're getting shots of what Ada's doing on the computer you know rerouting traffic or or logging into somebody's car to go flip the lights or you know whatever they have things that at least look like they could be computer commands mm, yeah i mean i'm not saying it is python but it looks that sort of a thing yeah you know access squad car parenthesis you know 32 or whatever the card number you know so they've given it a little bit of thought Mm-hmm. As to if you were designing, you know, with the intent of, of doing this in a police station kind of a thing, what would the interface look like? It's not perfect or whatever. You know, they have a, a chair that they've made early on and put in the interrogation room. And they imply most of the wiring is on the seat of the chair. I wish they would state or imply that more of it is on the arms of the chair. Well, what's funny is there's essentially a breadboard, some wires, and a chip or something on the bottom of the chair. Yeah. And they've essentially said, yeah, this is giving us all the biometrics or whatever for the pulse and all this stuff on the guy. Yeah. And he's unaware that it's even doing any of that. Yeah. Like, okay. So, little fast and loose. I mean, I'll totally buy that the arms of the chair, if your arm is resting on it, are giving you the pulse. I, I can get with that. But your butt giving the pulse? I don't get why they couldn't do that with some other sort of almost like invisible laser sensor kind of, mm. you know, mm-hmm. like you could do a, a bounce a laser against the wall and pick up the noise kind of a thing. Mm. Wouldn't that give you the heartbeat? You know, I think there yeah. are other ways they could have done it. Well, and they progress through the season from the, okay, we're, we're probably pe- playing fast and loose with people's rights and what's legal to the, okay... People are upset. Mm-hmm. 
to the, okay, now we have a group of people who are offended. Yeah. To the, okay, now we have people protesting and rebelling. Where is the line and when do you go too far mm-hmm. is something they definitely deal with. Yeah. In that technology is neither good or evil or even benign or anything. It's how it's used and not even how it's intended to be used, but almost how could it be used. Yes. So they bring up some ethical issues around all of that. Mm-hmm. They also, I felt, dealt with the just throw money at the problem. Yes. A lot because there was a point at which Reeves almost got kicked out of his own company because of how he was spending his time and his money. Well, and that was a fascinating one because one of the arguments was you may be spending millions of money, millions of dollars and lots of money to do a good thing and to save lives. But the company isn't seeing the profit. And he had to justify to his shareholders is well, it, the company wasn't losing money. When he signed the deal with, what was it, the FBI for them to get some yes, of the tech and stuff yes, like that. To license it out. It, it got, you know, his board of directors off his back. Mm-hmm. But they there are other times where he's like, okay, we're going to have a community center. And yeah. Not buying the hearts and minds, but investing in the, the area. Mm-hmm. And that was one that, that reminded me of another show that I think was the start of the season, Pure Genius. Yes. Where it was a rich tech billionaire who we never really hear much about his company from the episode or two I watched. He started up this Beacon Hill, mm-hmm. you know, let's let's throw startup technology and 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 geniuses at, at medical problems. Yeah, but to me that one always felt very sci-fi mm-hmm. and less grounded, and that billionaire felt a little more manipulative and removed whereas here Gideon is a man on a mission you know his his friend has died mm-hmm. he wants justice for that and and for everybody else yeah i was going to say once he recognizes that justice isn't happening it's like his eyes are open yeah and once he sees he can't unsee and when a child is injured while a pursuit is happening, it's okay. My eyes are now opened to mm-hmm. this. And he he goes and he shows up with the world's biggest teddy bear mm-hmm. at the hospital room. And it's, I cannot undo what happened to your child. But we can try yet again to make things better. We can fix this problem. And that's his whole attitude. Yeah. Is once you show me a problem, I can start trying to fix it. But you have to show me the problem. If I don't know there's a problem, I can't try to fix it. That's the one thing, as much as I loved this season uh, and thought it was great, the one thing I think they could have added, and I'm not sure exactly how, but it would have improved it, would have been, again, for him to have introduced some piece of technology, some something that is just a minor, it, it just doesn't work, and he spends the entire mm. season tweaking it. Just, actually, it's a little side project he can never quite get right. It's like, well, they can't all be winners kind of a thing. How about this or when this? They, when they introduced he had a research lab at home, I thought that his research lab at home would be the, this is the one, this is where I work on the things I haven't been able to to get working and to put out through Reeves Industries. Mm-hmm. This is where the things that haunt me and haven't been successful keep getting work done. I'm just thinking if there had been, and I don't know what it would have been that the cops would have needed on a regular enough basis 
to show up every episode or two, but not essential enough that if it just doesn't work, mm. I mean, it, it, like a flashlight or something. It's yeah. like, well, how hard could that be? They could get that right. Okay, fine. Yeah. But if it was something else, because it also would have given him a little bit of, of needed humility. Yeah. Well, it's something they could rib him about. And maybe that's why it never works is he knows yeah. they need something to rib him well, about. The interesting thing to me about Gideon is it's not that he lacks a moral compass or that he doesn't know the right thing to do, but he's just so focused on inventing and so focused on moving forward that I think a lot of things don't register with him and he doesn't see them. Yeah, it's it's things don't hit his radar whether they're right in front of him or not yeah. sometimes. And it's like when he was given a speech and told, go in front of your shareholders, deliver this speech, and tell them, we have put out the APB app for District 13, and now we're going to invent what sounded to me an awful lot like Amazon Prime for the wealthy Yeah, we're going to allow you to buy better justice. Yeah, and it wasn't until he really started telling people about it that he's like, I no. I, I I had a different stand on that episode. He had asked enough different people. He had been like feeling Ada, but wrong not about Murphy. It. Yes, because he knew Murphy wouldn't have approved. Yes, and when she came in as a shareholder to the meeting and sat down, yeah, he's like, yeah, I can't do this. Yeah. So there are things he can he can excuse away. He can compartmentalize. He certainly gets tunnel vision at times. Yeah, but he. He couldn't rationalize in any way the concept of profiting from or selling justice and safety. And that was clear from the minute the um, business manager suggested yeah. the idea. He's like, I can see why you want to do that, but that, that is wrong. Yeah. Not, we won't do it. Yeah. So. But see, that was the interesting line to me, was he knew it was wrong, but he couldn't find a way to tell her, so we won't do it. Mm-hmm. He's uh, enough pragmatic on the business sense. Yeah. That finding, how can I have everything I want? Yeah. Um, and that's 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 one of the things that I think makes him a little bit different from Tony Stark. Is he's a much more responsible person. Yeah. Because he's worried about how he's doing for shareholders, the police, the, the citizens, all that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that does kind of weigh on him. Yeah. But there are other things like what the mayor thinks of this, he yeah. doesn't care. Well, and I wasn't sure how to feel about uh, Murphy's husband through probably most of the 12 episodes, actually. But I think he did have some decent moments when they used him as a, he doesn't like Gideon. He has no reason to want this billionaire to be near his family. And yet he recognizes when cyber crimes are happening in our city, we need somebody tech savvy and with that cyber knowledge to be defending us. That was the aspect that convinced me that they had planned the whole season. Mm. Because Murphy's husband gets introduced, like, maybe at the end of the first episode or in the second yeah. or something and shows up there in the third and there's mm -hmm. a thorn in their side. It's like, ooh, is it going to be Love Triangle? Whatever. Mm -hmm. But then by the, the end of the season, 
he is standing up for Gideon, even though he doesn't really like him. It's like he, he gets this is the guy who we need right now. Yeah, and he is at the mayor's side when the mayor is blowing off Gideon on the phone. I wish that the mayor had had a line telling the ex-husband. He want, he's telling me, don't have this press conference. I'm in danger. If he had been on speakerphone or some other way or whatever, I think from the context, he could probably get it. What he knew was that Gideon, for some reason, didn't want him yeah. to go say more bad things about him. I think he's got, I think Murphy's husband has all the puzzle pieces he needs to understand Murphy, or not Murphy, that Gideon was trying to prevent the mayor from going out to the press conference because he was in danger, even though he didn't hear yeah. Gideon say those words. Uh, they probably have all that from the, the, the car. Yeah. That they could back that up or whatever. Um, it'll be interesting because the way they ended the season with the mayor's death and the mayor having been the person who'd first appointed him, but then kind of frankly regretted it. Yeah. Uh, and understandable, you got to go showboating and stuff. It's awkward. Well, I mean, you ended the season with Gideon doing everything in his power to save the life of someone who has treated him like crap, who he doesn't like, and has failed and his attitude when murphy says you know we didn't get here in time is we've only just begun yeah we're just getting started um with the intent of yeah we lost this battle we are not losing the war yeah you know this isn't enough to send us scurrying away or whatever yeah it kind of redoubles his resolve and i think it'll be fun uh i'm curious what direction they'll go mm-hmm Next season, um, clearly they've got to bring in a new mayor, whether that's a character or not. Mm -hmm. There will be one. Uh, I'm also wondering, do we get more, you know, police officers? Do we get to know a few community leaders in the district? Uh, do we see the drug dealer again that they had kind of dealt with? Mm -hmm. And there and are a lot. How much more of Murphy's ex-husband? More home life, because yeah. we got a little of that. Yeah. Do we start to get a little of the other ones? I mean, they've got a lot of things that they can kind of. Uh, play with and, and go and i like how this is a very much conceptually a standard police procedural here's the bad guy of the week we got to go catch or whatever but it's got a flair to it in terms of the technology being used mm -hmm. in terms of the the fancy gadgets the cool car that kind of stuff that the cops all have mm -hmm. um and also a flair on the writing of just how the characters interact mm -hmm. and, and and play with one another. And everything from like the penultimate episode where it's like, okay, the only way we can get a message to two cops that are in danger is through a nine-character display because it's on one of Gideon's old devices. And Murphy's like, okay, nine characters. And you can see her counting it out. Yes. Okay, do this. And he's like, huh? She's like, just type it in. And then he does and... While we're cutting to the police uh, officers kind of seeing it and Goss is reading it to uh, to Branch or whatever, Murphy is telling um, uh, Gideon. Gideon that Brant had been in, you know, Afghanistan. They were uh, rookies and went through training together. She'd heard all of his war stories and stuff. He made her learn all these things or whatever. Mm -hmm. And kind of, if he can't figure it out. Yes. You know, he better die because she's going to kill him. Kind of, it's like, <laughs> yes. you drew this into my head and you don't remember? 
Yeah, well, and I loved that the first six characters were based on the codes he made her learn. Well, the the first two were basically that there are three armed men, mm-hmm. and then the next two was I think AK forty seven. Yeah, or you know whatever. Yeah. Um, and then the last three characters were Dan. <laughs> yes. So Goss is like, okay, you've you've told me they're armed men, they've got weapons or whatever. Maybe it's M sixteen, whatever. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, what does Den mean? And he's like. It's a house. It's got to have a den. Yes. <laughs> kind of like, how could you not know this? It's had nothing to do with the code. And the the play between those two yeah. over the course of the season, where he had another war buddy, he wanted to get in the cop, and she's like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd gotten reports of complaints. It might have been this guy. It might not have. Which, again, is one of the times that the removable camera was well used. Yeah. Um, But how they had each other's back. Yeah. And how in one or two places... Uh, Goss was somebody, it's like, she's got a mission, and he's kind of following along, it's like, why are we doing this? Yeah. And- The suicide episode. The suicide one, and we get to learn a little about those two. Yeah. Well, and he, I wouldn't say Brant has serious PTSD, but he has just enough, and enough remnants of the war he still carries with him, and Goss is a good partner for him. Yeah, I like how they've- Taken Brandt as somebody who is a, a you know soldier who has been to war and has come back changed. It mm-hmm. is a a serious aspect of who he is mm-hmm. in good ways and maybe not so good ways in terms of the the bad yeah. experiences and stuff. Um, to the point where at one point he's like starting to you know I, we shouldn't have done this you know whatever mm-hmm. and she's like no you got to pull it together this is our mission let's go you know yeah and well and early on there was a. Um, a canine dog cop yes. that was injured and he was just very upset with you know it it's like the dogs we had over there and once they're out of commission you know they don't know what to do and she gets that dog released to him mm-hmm. well that, that's one where i think maybe an extra line of dialogue or another scene or two might have clarified a little of how much did she have to do with Gideon kind of fixing up, getting the dog fixed up. How much yeah. it was just Gideon of the dog sacrificed for us, saved, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it was one that, that played out well. There's very much, uh, that was one of the things that I think sold me on Gideon's kind of almost no man left behind sort of a thing. Yeah. Well, and it also established that while we see murphy interact with gideon the most Mm -hmm. he has that office there at the station and clearly all of the officers can come to him with a this is happening and this needs to happen and i'm sure a lot of it comes through murphy and the captain but yeah but i think also go to the penultimate episode where his secret lab he's got this nsa style true super spy thing and he knew it wasn't right to go spy on random people so he was testing out its data acquisition stuff on his his cops. Yeah. And to a degree, that's almost him trying to connect with them and get to know them. Yeah. Because they, they play that Gideon has good social skills, mm-hmm. not great social skills. Yeah. Yeah. And we see that with Ada mm-hmm. quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and that was one of the things where Ada at one point was at a, a very much a turning point and just the little things of... You know, somebody ate the last, you know, donut or whatever. And then a little while later, the captain comes in with a box of those donuts Mm -hmm. saying, you know, we don't say it often, but we do appreciate what you do here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's amazing how much something like that can can do for somebody. Yeah. 
and those character moments it made that that police house that station feel a lot more real yeah the fact that in the final episode the the desk sergeant who was getting the call from the mayor looking for Gideon or whatever we had seen her before yeah more than once yeah tiny little role yeah but it's like okay this there's a a familiarity it's like we have been in this building and they're the same faces they're the same things have happened behind the scenes or whatever mhm um i know it would be a little bit of a pain to do and most people including myself might not never notice it but it would be fun over the course of a season for them to just take like a corner of the squad room and be slowly sprucing it up it's mm. getting a new coat of paint a new bookcase or yeah something to where at the end of the season you look around and maybe even have the captain look around. And it's like, I know this station like the back of my hand. And I hadn't realized you've completely remodeled and refurnished everything. Yeah. This is a newer desk. That's a newer chair. That's a better clock. That's a, you know. And something, because you could almost play it off with, you know, Gideon and Pink just tinkering with a few things here and there. Or it's just, oh, there's some repairs that need to happen or whatever. Um, And it would go towards Gideon's kind of disruptor. Uh, aspect yes they had a a good mix of characters each i felt served a pretty good um function mm-hmm. uh particularly goss and brant the other two the rookie and the other guy were kind of that backup yeah uh uh pair of officers but to go to the rookie was kind of interesting early on because he was the one who had run ahead mm-hmm. of a drone and got shot. So that was the first time where we saw the ex-husband coming in to investigate. Yeah. And it was, so you're, you're going to tell us it's the fault of the drone, right? And he took the rookie back to, for lack of a better term, the scene of the crime. Mm-hmm. And basically made him relive it and kind of gave him PTSD. I was going to say, just about instilled it in the poor guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that was a great use of the rookie and it was a good, good episode for him. But even though we see the rookie there by the end of the episode, uh, end of the season, I didn't feel like well he had that arc. I didn't feel like we'd really gotten to know him as well. I didn't feel as we- Goss and, and Brant. No, I didn't feel we got to to know him well. I felt that through him, we got an appreciation of what Gideon brought to the thirteenth. True. No, and like I said, he served a good narrative purpose. He was yeah. not an extraneous character. Yeah. But if I had to go through kind of the the hierarchy, Gideon, it's his show. Yeah. Murphy is the number two, followed by the captain. Then you get Ada, Pete. Mm. Uh, then you get um, Goss and Brant. And then you get kind of the other characters and whatnot. Yeah. The two other police officers, uh, 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 Murphy's mom, yeah. husband, kid, that sort of a thing. Yeah. And I'm wondering if uh, the girl she let move in with her after the fire will be seen again. The fact that we didn't see her in the penultimate episode true, was a little surprising. Yeah. And would have been nice. I thought she was in opening for an episode on immigration, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are a lot of things they could do with a, a second season on this. I'm assuming they're going to get one. I think it did pretty well, but I'll have to check with Sam on that. Yeah. I know he's posted on the forums what he thinks is, is getting uh, renewed and canceled. And usually he's he's surprisingly accurate. Not surprisingly. He's 
Mm-hmm. I mean, he yes. he posted by like here's all the shows on the different networks, and there's if there's not a hundred shows on there, I'd be surprised. And yeah, he may get a handful wrong, but it's like he's gonna get most of them. He knows his stuff. He does. I love doing the rating episodes with him, and I'm curious how this APB and some of the other shows that we we're talking about what? are are doing. When we first talked about tuning into APB, I wondered, okay, how much of this is going to feel like with the app of, wow, that feels possible and like, hey, Mm -hmm. I kind of wish somebody would do that. Because at least on our local news, we get stories about, you know, somebody called 911 and got put on hold for quite a while. Yeah. Or the most recent story I saw on our local news was... How come your ride share can find you and 911 can't? And someone was actually a local reporter. This amuses me. It shouldn't. Was inside a 911 call center and dialed 911 and 911 couldn't find them. Wow. Um, so To which she's like, turn around. Yeah, pretty much. Hi. Um, you know, so these are times, though, when you think maybe an app could be more effective than a telephone system. Well, and it's hard not to think that you could throw some technology at some basic problems that are clearly solvable by technology. Yeah. And this is a show that is doing some interesting stuff exploring that. Yeah. And just, again, a little about how, like, that app would get adopted, where at first there's a, a what feels like a false alarm. Well, yeah, and that was fascinating with uh, people basically testing mm-hmm. the app. Oh, we do this, and they really do come. Yeah. And then there were complaints in one of the episodes from neighboring districts that weren't being served by the app. I liked that stuff. But then we saw the episode where uh, a boat got burned up and sank. And Mm -hmm. it was, we need to know if somebody's on the boat, but we can't go down because the temperature of the water. So they send an underwater- A submersible uh, or whatever, yeah. Yeah, NASA vehicle. And, okay, that that sounds kind of cool, but I wonder how realistic is stuff like that. That, I'm willing to say, it's like, okay, there's somebody in, you know, a, a military-industrial complex kind of a thing is going to have, you know, a deep-sea submersible or something that could handle this or, you know, for whatever reason. And that's the thing, okay, I may not have come up with that myself, yeah, yeah. but okay, fine. You know, the one that struck me as a little... Uh, really pushed the edge of believability was when Gideon sets up the 360 display room for basically taking, I think it was Murphy's body cam mm. footage mm-hmm. from when uh, she was rescuing somebody out of a fire, uh, and they're, they're trying to figure out, okay, how is it set? And they chase down, and they then use it later when they're trying to figure out, you know, who was the last person to see somebody at a block party. And they can zoom in on the footage, and they can voice control the footage, and... They can do all of that. It's touchscreen type stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And it has, you know, they've they've pulled all the cell phone video and camera and, and whatnot. Okay, now, I want to stop you there, because that did crack me up. So they've they've been dealing with this, this uh, drug dealer... Uh, Andre. And... Who's doing his own investigation because it was in his neighborhood somebody got raped and he's like, not going to have that. And the police finally convince, you know, Gideon convinces him, okay, work with us. We're, we're, we're going after the same goal here. You know, if we could get the footage from this block party, we may be able to find something out. So he sends, uh, Andre sends a guy who's got this backpack full of cell phones. He's like, he didn't want to take any chance. You didn't get all the footage. It's 
Here are all the cell phones and from everybody at the block or whatever. And then you could just see they're thinking, I wonder if he asked. Or just... <laughs> yes. What was funny is then the next time they're they're saying, hey, we're looking for this guy, everybody clearly had their phones. I know, right? <laughs> um, I would like to see that character come back. Yeah, me too. And I would like to see um, the captain go to Gideon with a business plan mm. of how they could basically take that, that drug dealing gang infrastructure and repurpose them for legitimate stuff, whatever it would be, that, that would earn income. In other words, something yeah. that basically, we're not trying to put you out of business. We're just we trying to get you legal. We change the business. Yeah. Now, I made you stop and rewind to the opening teaser scene of mm -hmm. that episode. Yeah, yeah. Because oh. uh, what you had pointed out, and I had missed it, the f I'd kind of caught it, but not really. Uh, when the gang, when uh, the Murphy gets to the place where the, the rape victim is being, you know, getting into the, the ambulance and stuff. The guy who had found her is getting beat up yeah. by the gang. And she's like, hey, knock it off or whatever. And then just almost magically from behind the gang comes Andre. And she's like, Andre, because we'd already met him an episode or two prior uh -huh. when they were st stopping a gang war that was being fabricated or whatever. And at this point, though, with the, the rape episode, Andre has this uh, necklace and then... Right, um, there's this this three or four inch kind of a a, a thing that's uh, I'm trying to think how to explain it. it your comment and it, it was accurate is it's got that gold color and isn't badge shaped, but is close enough. At first glimpse, it's hanging at the point on a chest where undercover cops, when they go into a precinct on a lot of cop shows, have their badge hanging. If you've ever seen another cop show and they've got the chain with the the badge or yeah. whatever, it, it it looked enough like that. Yeah. Um, and it's something I hadn't really picked up on at first, but those are the sort of things where they've they they seem to pay attention to that kind of stuff. Well, and it really struck me as doubly funny that they did that, and that I noticed it later, given where Andre's gang hung out. Yes, at an old uh, abandoned uh, police station. Yeah. I would like to see that come back. Was oh. that the 13th's original home? Yeah, me too. You know? It's little touches like that, though, that make me think there are a lot of people in this production. They're putting thought into what they're doing. Well, and imagine if the captain can figure out a way to repurpose that building along with the gang to where basically it makes sense for Gideon to fund refurbishing the building, making it a nicer place for them to hang out, giving them a something to where it's like throwing drug dealers in jail. It's like they shouldn't be dealing drugs. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. But mm -hmm. if there's a way you could get them to where they are, you know, uh, improving society yeah. instead of just kind of leveraging, yeah. you know, uh, people or whatever. Well, Gideon talked Andre down at the end of the episode. Yeah. And quite nicely, simply by pointing out, if you wind up in jail, who watches out for your neighborhood? Yeah. I mean, give them another alternative. Mm -hmm. and, to me, that would be a very fascinating thing to see evolve over the course of seasons. Yeah. To where they don't flip it on a dime. It's not like, well, it's suddenly here's the deal or whatever. Yeah. But if, if you keep nudging it in the right direction over time. Yeah. You know, it's... Well, in, in that same episode, they had Goss connect with one of the gang member kids mm -hmm. that was following them around. 
just, you know, instead of chasing him off, she just turned around and said, don't you have a mother? Do you have a sister? We're trying to get justice for the women Those in your Those are the community. people we're trying to protect. Yeah. You know, we're not your enemy. I want to see them do the community building on this. Yeah. They've done it great within the police station. They've started to reach out. I want to see that expand. Yeah. If this show goes for six, seven seasons, I want to know who are the religious leaders in this area. Yeah. Well, and- Who are the teachers? Who are the, the other- influential people going back to what you were saying about they've got good writers and good dialogue and a good sense of humor you know when they open that community center gideon having what to me was a really funny joke who here likes the police yeah (laughs) raises his hand he's like right right we don't want to start with that and fully admitting we have work to do but that's why we're doing this and I loved how he cut the ribbon. Yeah, with a, a laser kind of almost lightsaber sort of a thing. Mini yeah. Light, light dagger. Um, one of the other things I'd like to see, and I'm not sure quite how they would work this in, but like when it comes tax time, I'd like to see whatever accountants from Reeves Industry kind of come help the cops out. Yes. You know, he takes care of his own. But I'd also like to see, because we see that map of the district mm-hmm. in, in Gideon's office. I'd like to see Gideon getting enough invested that a season or two or three later, he's made enough touchstones with enough of the businesses that when somebody says, oh, it's happening on 4th Street, it's like, wait, that's by the deli. That's, you know. Yes. And he knows that part of town inside and out. Yeah. He's invested in that part of town. And then you start to learn that certain people, if they were falling on tough times, but a, a bank loan came through that they really didn't expect or- yeah. You know, a, a really good deal just happened to come along or whatever. And you realize he's he's helping behind the scenes. Yeah. Because he's a compulsive fixer. Yes. I mean, they set that up. And if you could just get him to expand his focus a little. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's something that in the course of 12 episodes, they solve at least 12 crimes. We get to know the characters a lot about what's going on. Not everything. It's it's a, It feels like a real city. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Chicago, so you could argue if it's real or not. No, yeah. But- Well, but in a way, Chicago was probably a brilliant place to set it in terms of, sadly, right now, Chicago does have a reputation for a crime rate that needs help. I think it's a good city to do it because it's a big city. Yeah. It's not New York. It's not LA. Very true. And it's a better city, I think, to use than the one that the concept is based on. House. Oh, that's a good point. Because it is based on New Orleans. Yeah. And how, I forget what the guy was, but uh, again, some some business person, after Katrina, uh, the, the hurricane hit or whatever, there was major crime problems. So he essentially had a privatized police force to, to, to kind of deal with that. Mm-hmm. And then the whole concept is, well, should you privatize police? Yeah, I keep meaning to look up that uh, story that says it's based on, and somehow... That took me mentally to something I saw in the news recently about, I want to say it was in Alabama, somebody petitioned the government for their own police force, and it's being decided, you know, is it legal, Mm -hmm. is it not legal? A Presbyterian church wants to have their own on-site police, 
And it was really fascinating news coverage. They were saying, you know, we contacted the other large churches mm -hmm. in our community and said, do you want to join us? And they said no. And the church was saying, you know, we wouldn't have jail cells. We would turn them over to the police department, this, that, and the other. But we would have our own police officers as opposed to employing off-duty police mm -hmm. officers so that there would be more consistency of personnel, this, that, and the other. And they're being sued by people who say that it would make uh, the Presbyterian Church uh, separate but unequal, basically. Well, it almost seems to violate church and state separation. Uh, it would make it's. It was a. Uh, it was an equality thing. Well, it's it's funny because the the concept that brings up that I would definitely love to see the show deal with in another season is the way privatizing police i mean that's not really what happens here no it's not he is in charge of the police but he is an administrator yeah this is not a private company it's not like he's brought in soldiers yeah, or yeah. anything of the sort he's just throwing some technology he's he's facilitating yeah not replacing yeah but the flip side of that is i believe we've privatized prisons in some cases in a lot of cases. And what what worries me and concerns me is that there are judges who have admitted to receiving a certain amount of money for every prisoner they send. If there is a financial certain, incentive yeah. to imprison somebody, for yeah. anybody, much less a judge. Yeah. We're doing something wrong. Yeah, and what's really scary is when you see stories that say juvenile facilities were giving judges money yeah. to send uh, people to them. Yeah, that's... But it seems like the kind of topic that is almost the flip side of, of what Gideon Reeves is trying to do in APB, and therefore seeing somebody who is on that side of it and thinking Gideon is kind of working towards, or you know what I mean? Yeah. I think if somebody told Gideon Reeves that there were people profiting off of people going to jail who didn't warrant jail time yeah he would be even more determined to prevent if not quote crime than people making their way to that part of the system does that make sense well and that would actually be an interesting angle to take on that is introduce somebody who is a, a, a ceo of the prison corporation sort of a thing mm-hmm as kind of an opposite, are you like him or not, kind of a thing. Not even that we need to see this character interact with Gideon, but we need to establish, mm -hmm. you know, are you going down this this questionable path? And then have somebody who basically, um, potentially Gideon starts funding as like an assistant district attorney or something to specifically protect the rights of the people that, that the district, uh, his district is, is, is uh, you know, saying needs to go to jail or whatever. To make sure that the process is followed correctly, mm -hmm. not to get them off on loopholes or anything of the sort. Yeah, yeah. But let's make sure we're sending the right people away. Yeah. And that's something that uh, is, is you know, Gideon's not trying to close a case just to close the case. He's trying to get justice. Yeah. And I'm noticing in a few other shows, Bull, which I think we'll mm -hmm. be talking about when that season ends, there's a lot of, well, their trial consultants, are they... Are they gaming the system or are they going after justice? Yeah. What is justice versus legality and those sorts of issues? And that's a little in play here. Well, the show I wish I could get you to watch, Father Brown, a BBC show, um, 
the character was what inspired Father Dowling. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, you've got a priest who is solving crimes, but their end goal, while justice and solving the crime is part of it, their, I guess I would say their primary concern is the souls of everyone concerned because they're yeah. priests. They're well, they're in, trying to get the best outcome, not somebody not, punished necessarily. Yeah, their their end goal is not put someone in a cell. Yeah. And I think that's why I like both of those shows so much. Well, there have been tons of police procedurals for at least half a century now on TV. And finding a new angle on it, a new twist, a new style to it or something is, I think, with every season, harder and harder and harder. One. Yet I think they did that here with APB. Yeah. The difference between The Closer and Major Crimes is that The Closer's sole purpose was to close the case. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Major Crimes, their goal is not only to figure out who did it, but to make that person accept a deal. So in The Closer, she was out to get a confession, Mm -hmm. and then she was done. Yeah. But in Major Crimes, they wanted to take a deal because that way they know they're going to jail and nothing that happens at trial can undo what they did to close the case. That is the other thing I want to see APB do next season or the season after if they get one. Uh, I want to see Gideon go for that confession. I want to see him do... I want to see him automate the interrogation. <laughs> Have him roll out this this computer screen, and it's got a Max Headroomish sort of a it's it's Turing. It's like, <laughs> dude, they can tell it's a robot. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on the interface. Well, but I think, and they pointed it out at one point. You know, how many of the cases that they closed could survive going to court? Yeah, and that's one of the interesting questions of this show. And part of it is the technology and like with the drones and people complaining, you know, I thought my window was being peeped in on Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. There are interesting questions that the show raises. Well, and it's something that as a society we're going to have to deal with in terms of we all want to feel safe and be safe in our own homes, in our neighborhoods, around town, whatever. Mm -hmm. And there are certain kind of concessions or things we will deal with you know cameras at the the, the traffic lights uh you know police cars going around town and stuff i mean there's certain things you just have to have and you could argue what those are and what those aren't yeah but as we get new technologies in terms of should people be able to track you based on the the locator in your cell phone or in your car or whatever you know what level of, of privacy are we willing to give up What level of privacy are we unwilling to give up, but kind of have to anyways, because it's out of our control? Mm -hmm. Um, And what is acceptable and what's not, and why not, in terms of the greater good? And is that always really the greater good? Yeah. Because they could just as easily have done a show like this with a much less altruistic Mm -hmm. Gideon Reeves. Yeah. Where it seems like at first he's this great thing, but it turns out he's kind of the 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 wolf in the hen house or whatever you know he's infiltrated and he's really this big drug lord you know what i think yeah they could have gone a very dark take that would have been fascinating well and i'm glad they didn't no but the uh as i said earlier you know we work all the way through the season to the people who are against what he's doing and rebel and i think they do feel though that nobody can be 
altruistic or have good intentions yeah. when they bring technology into law enforcement. And uh, we're living in a, a, a cynical age. We're, I'm starting to become more and more convinced we live in a culture of fear. I agree and I disagree. I think there are aspects of our culture and what's going on in our society right now that is legitimate cause for fear. Mm. So I think at times we definitely live in a society of fear, but not of unreasonable fear. Not of acceptable fear yeah, either yeah. in some cases. Yeah. So, you know, when we've elected government officials, uh, be it local, state, national, whatever, you know, can we trust them? Are they really looking out for us or their own interests? Things like that. There's legitimate cause for concern in some cases. Yeah. And if you feel that there's this big totalitarian regime against you, that's not right. That's not good. But you don't want anarchy and chaos either. So where is that social contract? And is it time, both us as a society and as a, a planet, to, to start kind of renegotiating some of those things a little bit more explicitly? Yeah. And make sure we've got something equitable across the planet or whatever. In some cases, what made sense when the USA was founded made sense then. But you look at today's technology, there's an app for that kind of a thing. Yes. You know, we're still using an election system that was born out of, well, it takes a horse so long to get from point A to point B. Yeah. Progress comes. You can't say technology is, is good or bad. It's just a question of how do you use it and what are the guiding principles as to when and why you should or shouldn't use it. Yeah. Um, and it's fun seeing a show that has got a nice balance of a little of that, but again, very predominantly police procedural. Yeah. If this goes the way of, say, point of interest, which its twist on the police procedurals, we're going after somebody, but we're not sure if they're the victim or the perpetrator. We'll figure that out as we go. Yeah. We know something's up here. Yeah. Okay, so it was shine the spotlight over here and, and take a closer look. Yeah. I loved it first season. Absolutely. But then it veered away from police procedural-ish mm -hmm. uh, to- Battle you know, of the Battle computers. of the, the super AIs or whatever. Yeah. And if this gets with APB too far-fetched, where they're throwing holograms around or force fields, I, they're not going to. No. I would be shocked if they did. But somehow that made me think of one of the episodes where Gideon was trying to figure out, you know, basically which database should he try and go through, and Murphy took him to a room of file cabinets. Yes. There's, there's a, a low-tech aspect there, too. Yeah. Well, and that's that would be one of the things that would be a fun, subtle change in a future episode would be to realize there's a filing cabinet in, in Gideon's office. <laughs> he never used to have a filing cabinet. What does he keep in a filing cabinet? It would actually be an entertaining episode to see them have to survive a day with a power failure. Yes, that would be fun. And maybe more than a day. Because it's something that gives them, uh, it's a game changer for Gideon. Yeah, exactly. And it lets the cops really shine through with, no, we were doing this before you came. We appreciate all you've brought to us, but we can still function. Well, and I think there's also aspects of what Pete, Ada, and Gideon would bring. Well, the laptop has batteries and mm -hmm. stuff like that, but something to where we need to show that these people have skills other than. Yes. Just the technical. Yeah. And that all the cops aren't complete newbies when it comes to technology. Yeah. You know, when at the end we've got uh, the captain 
having to walk through how to go do some stuff on, on Ada's computer and stuff, mm-hmm. um, maybe that opens a door for him and he starts to get a little more computer savvy. Yeah. You know, certainly not genius level or something, but he's able to follow along. I get it. And how about the, ooh, good idea, kind of, you know. Yeah. Get a back and forth going there. Um. And for that matter, I think it'd be fun if they tried to do like a, a uh, evening course or whatever on programming or on technology for some of the cops. See which ones take, which ones don't. And there's they uh, they need to do a basically a people's day off, a mix and match partners training session to where Ada spends a day with Murphy. Where each of them tries the other one's job or on-the-job yes. training, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brant and uh, Gideon, Pete and Goss. Mm-hmm. It'd be fun to do. It, it'd be challenging to set that up right. I mean, you could do, it's the whole, you know, uh, uh, HR kind of, you know, new management technique or whatever to, to better communicate, better understand that kind of stuff. Um. But at the very least, start with a shadow type program where it's like, you, you need to understand. I mean, you see us do it, but pay attention. You know, try to do it. I also liked uh, Gideon hiring one of Andre's people. Again, I want to see Andre and his, his crew start to be how we, we get out of the police station into a little more of the community. Yeah. I think the show was just beautifully done. It had uh, fun computer graphics when they had the big display in the police station. They had very obvious... Somebody is sitting in a stationary car and we're projecting the background behind them when they're in the police cars. Yeah. Cut with really cool police actual cars on actual streets doing some stuff with other drivers. There was one point where they used their stock footage of police cars leaving the police station and they all go out, sirens blaring, lights flashing, and it's okay, let's do this in stealth mode. Everybody be silent. Yeah, I know I sent you out here with the lights on, but let's keep, let's let's not have him hear you coming. Kind of, it's yeah. <laughs> okay, that amused me. They've got some some fun uh, aspects to it, and a few things where there's only so many times you're going to shoot the police cars and stuff over the course of the season. Mm. The 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 B team or whatever's doing that. So I liked the original reuse. reveal of their police cars, though. Yeah, I would say anyone who's curious about this, definitely check out the pilot episode. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be streaming somewhere if it's not already. And it gives you a pretty good sense of what the show's about. Yeah. You know, it progresses from there. It grows from there. It does not radically change. Again, they introduced Pete and a few others a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we were pretty hooked after the first episode. Yeah. Well, and it, for me, it was the APB app. It was kind of a, they've got enough realism to the tech they're going to bring in. And, and that, to me, the realism. When we started seeing the, you know, when they're typing commands, it's not just, ooh, they're writing this whole program on the fly or whatever in a single pass and boom, it works. They're running, you know, particular, okay, let's attach to this. They're doing it in an interactive kind of a mode. Um, and there's that sense of believability. They had one episode where something on the cars could uh, sniff for chemicals, and they were getting false hits. Mm-hmm. They was taking them to, I guess, paint stores, beauty oh, salons. Oh, because they were looking for something that was... Uh, starting fires. Starting fires, and the accelerant is also like a, a close enough to a nail polish or yes. whatever. Yeah, it, but things aren't perfect. Yes. 
It's there's a work in progress aspect. Yeah, I like that. Again, believability. It's fun. Yeah, so I recommend it. So yeah, definitely a fun show. Well worth watching. Uh, Twelve episodes. If you can watch it streaming and cut out commercials, uh, you you could marathon it in a day, full day. You know, get up, have breakfast, watch it, pause for lunch. Well, cook lunch, watch it while you're eating lunch. By the time you're done with dinner and, and a little bit, maybe you're done. I've done this on some shows. Um, you know, all I can think is a DV8 would approve of that style of watching. Yeah, well, it's... He's got the wardrobe for it. There's something to be said for uh, for marathoning some stuff. Yeah. We were watching this as it came out, and uh, we stockpiled a few episodes here and there just as we had other stuff come up, but um, we never got particularly far behind on it. No, this was one I enjoyed keeping up on. Yeah, and again, colorful personalities, good actors, solid writing, mm-hmm. um, and the city was enough of a character. Yeah. And I want to see that develop more, but it's it it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. So anything else? Does that pretty much do it? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.